0: Bills Live, presented by Collider Health.
2: All right, here we are, hour number two on a Monday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, with you. One Bills Live. Pleased to be joined now by senior NFL reporter for the Boston Globe, Ben Valin, joining us on the show. Ben, how you doing? You ready for a Super Bowl?
3: I am. I'm, I'm ready for the Andy Reid Bowl,
1: the Kelsey Bowl. Bring it all on. Let's see. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Any? Do you have any issues with uh, with the way those games went yesterday? I mean, I know social media tends to hyperbolize everything, and it's either all of this and none of that or all of that and none of this. Um, what did you think? Well, Steve, like the rest of
3: you, I thought the Bengals got jobbed yesterday. I thought the officiating was pretty one-sided. And to see if I was just being, you know, visceral and and a fan – Uh, I called up a guy, Jim Diopolis. He used to be a supervisor of NFL officials for 15 years. He was an on-field umpire. He worked the Super Bowl. So I said, Jim, what do you think? Oh, the Bengals got hosed yesterday. I can't believe all those missed calls. So even even the officiating community didn't think the games went so well. And it's a shame that we're talking about the officiating and not what a warrior Patrick Mahomes was last night. And even Joe Burrow played like a champion. And I I just wrote an article that just published on bostonglobe.com it's these all-star officiating crews that they do in the postseason, where you know you're with your crew all 17 weeks of the 18 weeks of the regular season, and then they just pick the best of the best and they do a mishmash crew during the playoffs. And the guys that are working the conference championship games yesterday—that was the first time they ever worked with each other. They didn't have any other prior game to work with each other, and you see confusion and dysfunction, and it just—it's not seamless to have these guys uh, who haven't worked. Uh, together before ha- having to do this in these big games. So I, I thought it was really unfortunate. The all-star officiating system, it's actually collectively bargained with the referees. So it's not like the NFL can just change it. They would have to change it with the referees, but I just think they've got to come up with something a little bit better because the, these mishmash all-star crews are making too many mistakes in, in in the league's biggest games.
1: I'll say this, though, and I've talked to um, guys like Mike Pereira and and Mike Carey back when they were with CBS and, and Fox and all that stuff. Uh, I've spoken with those guys. Also, Gene Sterator as well. Um, one of the things about those the, – the finger quotes, the all-star crews, most of the guys on those crews have worked with at least two or three of the other guys on the crews – throughout different years. So it's not like they're strangers showing up, but you're right. As a, as a crew, they haven't worked together, but with individuals and line of communication being friendly enough and being familiarized with those guys, usually that's the case. And, and I get it. Uh, You could make it crew wide how the game, you know, how the, the officials are evaluated instead of individually, but I've heard as well that has a ripple effect with the evaluation process that the that the officials don't like because of the way that comes. You know what I mean? If you get a weak link in your crew, all of a sudden the crew starts to be dysfunctional because they're trying to cover for one guy who's not doing it the way – you know what I mean? So No doubt. Yeah, so it's a, it's a slippery slope, but I get your point.
3: And, and not to get too hung up on this, Steve, you're right in uh, the NFC game, John Hussey, the referee, I believe he had three other guys from his crew – working with him so at least there was some familiarity there the afc game ron torbort there were eight officials including the replay guy coming from seven different crews last night so everyone is from a different crew they maybe have worked with each other in the past but that was really just a mishmash collection of officials and this was strange something i found too there was so ron torbort was the nighttime official and john hussey was the daytime official there was a member of Torbert's crew working, but in the NFC game for Hussey, they didn't even put him on Torbert's crew. And I'd love to know how they came up with that. So, you know, one solution I I saw too might be, you have all the, right now they they're very inclusive. They had, I believe uh, 12 different crews officiating these 12 different games so far and instead they should just have all the best crews work the wild card games, then those best crews work the divisional games, then those best crews work the conference championships. So at least if you have an, an all-star crew, you you're getting three or four games into the playoffs. And you don't have a situation where these guys, this was their first time working together in this game yesterday in the conference championship. So I just and again, the NFL can't just snap their fingers and change it. They need to collectively bargain it. So it's a it's a whole big issue right now, but I do think it it bears Uh, monitoring and they need to make some sort of fix to it.
2: I know you also had a column on your analysis of the performances by the the respective teams in the two games yesterday. And, you know, we saw injuries kind of add up, uh, you know, to an outcome that was just insurmountable for the 49ers. Um, The chiefs though, had almost the same number of injuries, granted not at the most important position two times over, but, Juju Smith-Schuster goes out. McCole Hardman goes out. Uh, I think there was another injury. They lost somebody. And Mahomes just keeps on being Mahomes with a bad leg to boot Um, because we saw he wasn't driving the ball as he normally does, and yet still he's making plays and firing passes through cracks in the secondary. Um, I don't know if you could make a bigger statement about having MVP status than Mahomes did yesterday with what he was able to muster up.
3: Yeah, Mahomes is probably going to win that award this year. The the votes were already tabulated before the, the playoff started, but he certainly, I think, cemented his MVP status last night. What a warrior performance on that high ankle sprain. A lot of quarterbacks, you know, not only wouldn't be able to move around that well, but you know, he had to completely change his game. He, he's a guy who loves to get outside the pocket and create. He had to really stay inside the pocket last night. And a lot of quarterbacks can't function when asked to do that. He still has such a, a live arm and is so talented and has such great skill players around him and offensive play calling that he was unbelievable. And then still, as we're seeing, still was able to get outside the pocket, make some of those razzle-dazzle plays, that, that scramble at the end on third and fourth, just refused to be denied this was uh, you know I know Tony Romo uh, it was a little ham-handed he tried to make a comment about Mahomes and Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler I mean I get he was saying this was this was like Mahomes' flu game for Michael Jordan this was an all-time tough performance gutting it out on this ankle Uh, he's now got two weeks to get healthy again uh, for the Super Bowl so I'm definitely not counting out Patrick Mahomes but uh, unbelievable performance. Not many guys could do what he did, and he's just so talented and has such a strong arm that he he can be a totally different quarterback, like he had to be last night, and he can still be very operational and lead his team to victory. It so, was just such a gutsy, gutsy performance from Mahomes, and you can't have anything but the utmost respect for him.
1: Yeah, and it's the same thing on the other side. Joe Burrow put up a heroic effort and, uh, in on a tough, sca- on a tough away. Sca- Stadium to play, although Cincinnati might have you know made it as tough as they wanted to on themselves because of the the stuff that they said before the game happened, Uh, and we're seeing a highlight of the Patrick Mahomes unnecessary roughness call on the sideline. Uh, What did you make of the Bengals walking into Arrowhead Stadium, calling it Burrowhead Stadium, where the mayor is asking for a paternity test because Burrow's Mahomes' dad? I mean, they were like they weren't holding back at all. It was as though bulletin board material was a new thing for them.
3: Yeah, they they got a little caught up in their britches a little bit. Um, You know, got got a little big in the heads, but it had worked well for them. They were talking smack a lot leading up to the Bills game, I thought. And they kind of backed it up that day. And I think when you go into Buffalo and have a pretty dominant win and you overcame 21-3 in Arrowhead last year, you're not going to back down to anyone. And I honestly don't think that's the reason they lost. I mean, if Joseph Asai doesn't make that push out of bounds, who knows how the game is ending. And I give the Bengals, I think, a lot of credit. They went down big early. They gained zero yards in the first quarter. Joe Burrow's getting sacked left and right. And they, they made some great adjustments on offense. All of a sudden, early in the third quarter, Burrows got over 200 yards. They figured out the Chiefs' defense. He's protected. He's got time. That fourth down pass to Jamar Chase, my goodness, what a risky, just gutsy play by Joe Burrow and the Bengals there. Um, they they were, you know, this close to, to pulling it off again uh, and just, you know, had a few too many mistakes down the end, um, their own self-inflicted mis- mistakes, of course, that interception by Burrow on third and short. They're going to be rethinking that one. Should they have just gone for the first down instead of for the big shot? And then obviously the officiating didn't help them either but um no no shame in this loss for the Bengals they were they played their hearts out Joe Burrow played like a champion they're going to be back yeah they probably regret saying some of the things they did but that that was what propelled them to to this stage in the first place is being confident and being able to back it up and and I honestly don't think that any of that stuff factored too heavily uh, in the loss yesterday. I think you just have to give the Chiefs a lot of credit for pulling it out.
2: And And as competitive as that game was, whoever came out of that game, the task was going to be daunting anyway, going against an Eagles team that might be the only one in football that can say they have a top five offensive line and a top five defensive line in the entire league. And really that is, at least in my opinion, what has unquestionably – separated them from the rest of the league this year, going wire to wire with the best record in football. I mean, I understand the A.J. Brown trade was crucial to their success this year, but I don't know, call me old school. I I think what they did with their offensive and defensive lines has served that team even more than that trade in particular.
3: Uh, I I believe uh, that, you know, uh, Sean McDermott said it after the loss that the game is won and lost in the trenches and the Eagles, they dominate their offensive line is fantastic. And uh, the defensive line, 70 sacks in the regular season, third most of all time. Uh, Hassan Reddick, the uh, free agent signee has been unbelievable this year. Uh, You know, and and once again on Sunday against the Niners wreaking havoc. So yeah, the Eagles are definitely a very complete team on both sides, Eagles and chiefs, Great X's and O's matchup should be a really exciting game. That said, I was um, not overly impressed with the Eagles yesterday. Maybe some of that does have to, you have to credit the Niners who have the number one defense in the NFL and their defense is outstanding, but the Eagles, it actually took them a little while to kind of pull away, and they did waste a lot of opportunities, and they were very stubborn with the run game. I, I counted it out. They had 42 runs without kneel downs yesterday. Four of them went for 54 yards, so they hit a couple. Then they had 38 runs for like 96 yards, just ramming into a brick wall over and over. Uh, and that's not going to work against the Chiefs. You better come out throwing. You can't run the ball 38 times and, and not be effective added against the chiefs and, and beat patrick mahomes so i just I, you know the the eagles punter was shaky like you know they wasted some some turnovers it took them a little while christian mccaffrey was running through their their secondary for a, a stretch and then obviously the niners just ran out of gas because they didn't have a functional quarterback but I, to me I, I think the eagles have a few more question marks right now than uh than the chiefs do the chiefs offense was just so highly operational, so efficient during the regular season. Mahomes has two weeks to get healthy now. And like I said, the, the Eagles, great win, but it should have been a little bit easier for them yesterday. So I, I do have some question marks against the Eagles going into that Super Bowl.
1: Well, at this time of year, it's, it's only human nature that all the other fans of all 31 or 32, 30 other teams in the NFL look at those games yesterday, the 28 other teams, and they kind of compare their team to where they would be to get to the championship level. The Bills missed it by a game, uh, did not look good against the Bengals at home. What are your thoughts about the Bills? What steps they need to take? How they got to where they are? And and going forward, what are your thoughts now and, and in relation to the games we saw yesterday?
3: Well, first of all, whenever you have Josh Allen, your window's open. So they're going to be a, a competitive team. They're going to be, I, I think, the uh, favorites in the AFC East you know, for several years now going forward. That said, I I do think this was a team that played down to its talent a little bit this year, except when they played New England, they certainly had no problems with uh, the the Patriots. But, you know, in the playoffs, they struggled against a third string quarterback of the Dolphins and then obviously got manhandled on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage against the Bengals. I I, I see some changes coming defensively. Um, There's some rumblings that it could be with the coaching staff, uh, perhaps with the coordinator. Um, certainly some of the personnel, the safeties are starting to get older on the wrong side of 30. I, I think the, the bills have some retooling to do on defense a little bit, and then they have to get another weapon um, for Josh Allen to, to go along with stuff Diggs. I like Dawson Knox. I like uh, Gabriel Davis, but they probably, I don't know if those guys are a number two right now. And uh, I thought Brandon beans comments rang a little hollow when he said, we don't want to suck as bad to be, to go get Jamar chase. Well, I believe they had the pick that eventually turned into Justin Jefferson. And obviously there are a lot of talented receivers uh, that have come out in the second, third round, the last several years. And the bills haven't taken uh, a pick, I think higher than the fifth round in a long time. So I think they need to go out and get some more weapons for Josh Allen, make it so that he doesn't have to play so much hero ball and that he doesn't have to rely so heavily on, on Stefan Diggs. Obviously the bills are going to be there, but I, I think they're definitely behind the Chiefs and the Bengals right now, and that's obviously not where they want to be.
2: And in the division closer to your home, uh, you know, the Patriots have a new OC in Bill O'Brien, a new old OC, I guess you could say. Is the hope there that he can turn Mac Jones into more of what we saw from rookie Mac Jones than year two Mac Jones? No question. I,
3: I think it's just about having. <laughs> Um, a more professional uh, uh, unit there. I mean, Matt, Patricia and Joe judge had never done it before. And so I think this was kind of an ownership call. We've seen some steps from the crafts this off season that we haven't seen before, as far as announcing, they're going to be hiring an offensive coordinator. And they said they were going to be examining all assets, all facets of the football operation. So it seems like the ownership is getting a little more involved now. And, and so they brought in bill O'Brien. He's been a quarterback's coach and an offensive coordinator, you know, we'll see. I I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who I think has been a solid coach, but has basically coached to the, his talent level. When he had Tom Brady and Deshaun Watson, he won games and the offense was good. When he had lesser quarterbacks, he didn't have a history of getting the most out of everyone or getting more out of the personnel than what is out there. Um, they had some lean years in Houston too. So we'll see if he's able to fix Mac Jones or if Mac is what he was this second season. I I tend to think, um, you know, the coaching was an easy scapegoat this year and that a lot of these problems did stem from Mac Jones and his inability to really progress forward. But there was obviously issues with Mac and the coaching staff. There's no need to move on from Mac. Now he's only two years into his rookie contract. So I think they're hoping that with Bill O'Brien, it'll be, A little bit of a better mix. And then one thing I'm looking for is just the volatility. This whole season, Mac Jones, was we saw him screaming at his coaches and going nuts on the field and showing up Matt Patricia. And now he's being coached by Bill O'Brien, who has a well-known temper and certainly has gotten into it with many people before as well. So that will be an interesting dynamic. How do Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien coexist together?
1: What do you think are some of the other issues? Obviously, if your quarterback and your offensive coordinator aren't getting along or don't see eye to eye on it that's one thing. What about the talent level of, and you know, they drafted Cole strange in the first round last year. Um, What are some of the other issues that may face the Patriots that they have to overcome outside of Mac Jones and whoever's getting the most out of him?
3: Yeah, I I think it's definitely a chicken and an egg situation of um, did Mac Jones are the struggles on Mac Jones or because they don't have enough talent around him. And I thought they had, decent talent but definitely not a true number one no one to the level of stefan Diggs. you know Devontae parker made some plays but was in and out of the lineup hunter henry Johnu smith are nice tight ends but neither of them are you know elite like travis kelsey or anything of that nature uh, they don't have many receivers that can win one-on-one at the line of scrimmage jacoby myers a nice possession receiver doesn't really put fear into any defense so they just need elite talent. And that's why I was so disappointed that they picked a guard in the first round last year. They needed a game changer at receiver and guard is about the least game changing position on the field. And it worked out that way. They just, they didn't have the elite talent and you know, you see it like with teams like Miami, I don't think Tua Tagovailoa is necessarily an elite quarterback either, but you put Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill around him and the offense is much better. I think Mac Jones is a guy He needs everything perfect around him. He needs great offensive uh, line protection and really top-notch talent around him and then great coaching as well. And then I think the Patriots can be successful. Um, So this will be a big third year for Mac, and I I think the Patriots this offseason need to find a way to get at least one or two more improvements uh, at wide receiver and tight end
2: around him. All right, last one for me, Ben. Handicap the Lamar Jackson situation for me in terms of whether he is back in Baltimore or if he lands somewhere else? And then part two of that is what are the likelihood of the Jets jumping into the sweepstakes if things don't work out in
3: Baltimore? Great question. My, my only guarantee is that we're going to hear a lot about this over the next six months. It's just going to dominate the offseason. My gut says the Ravens give Lamar Jackson the exclusive franchise tag, which completely takes him off the market. He can't talk to any other teams. Um, the non-exclusive tag is cheaper, but you only get two first round picks in return. If Deshaun Watson is going for three, I think the Ravens would be nuts to lose Lamar Jackson for only two first round picks. So I think they give him the exclusive tag. It's worth $45 million this year. And I think they have every intention to keep him. So my prediction is they do not want to trade him. They, They want to keep Lamar Jackson. They want to work toward a deal. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lamar Jackson not sign his franchise tag and kind of hold out it's not really a holdout since you're not signing the contract but hold out of camp and make a deal a a big deal out of it because he certainly doesn't want to get hurt and he's got a lot at risk still so i think it's just going to be long and drawn out and i would not be surprised to see it last into training camp and potentially get right up against the deadline to, to the start of the regular season
2: all right so quickly did you see the greg roman departure whether it was mutual or otherwise as an olive branch to Lamar Jackson or telling him, Hey, we're going to change some things so you can be better. What how did you view that? Did you think there was any ulterior motive in that as it pertained to Lamar?
3: I do think it's an olive branch to Lamar Jackson. I, 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 you've heard rumblings that the relationship between him and Roman wasn't always perfect. And uh, especially the wide receivers on that team didn't love, you heard that they didn't love the fact that they were kind of phased out in favor of running backs and, and tight ends. So I think this might just be a nod towards the uh, Lamar Jackson, but also other guys in the locker room too, that were willing to change things up for you. You know, the fact that the you go back and I think the Ravens were pretty clearly upset that Lamar wasn't available for that playoff game. But then on the Monday or Tuesday afterward, uh, John Harbaugh and GM Eric DaCosta were effusive in their praise of Lamar Jackson over the top saying how much they love him and believe in him. And he was this close to playing and, Part of me thinks they're just kind of buttering everyone up to get ready for to trade him. And maybe that's the case, but I, I do genuinely think they want to build around Lamar Jackson. They just, they're very far apart on what the contract should be. Lamar wants the Deshaun Watson contract and uh, 31 other NFL teams are adamant on making that uh, just an anomaly kind of contract and not letting that be a trendsetter. So I, I, I think un- unless Lamar Jackson's willing to come off that demand, him and the Ravens are going to be butting heads for a while. Wow.
1: Ben, thanks. It's great talking to you. Appreciate you spending some time with us.
3: All right. Thanks so much, guys.
1: All right. That is senior NFL writer for the Boston Globe, Ben
2: Volin, joining us. And, yeah, I think he's right. We're going to be talking Lamar a lot through the course of the offseason. Leave it to the Browns to screw it up for everybody else with a fully guaranteed contract for a guy who's got off-the-field transgressions. Because now it's completely set a precedent where now all these other quarterbacks who have done a whole lot more than – Deshaun, Deshaun Watson has done on the field the last two years saying, Whoa, that guy, that guy's got a fully guaranteed deal, and he still might be in trouble with the law. What what am I getting? I've been a model citizen over here in Baltimore. You know, I've got an, an, I've got an MVP. Yeah. And, you know, I know I haven't been the picture of health the last couple of years, but I'm still one of the best eight quarterbacks in football. What are you gonna do for
1: me? Yeah, that's right. He's right. He's
2: I mean, he's got a leg got to a stand point.
1: on. He's got a point, but I'll say this too. The club. There's a lot of people out there that say Baltimore hasn't done giving them enough weapons. They haven't. Even, well, let me tell you something. That, that's good. Football coaches give your players what they need to do their best work with the skill set they have, and that's what Baltimore did. Uh, you can say, well, they didn't draft a first-round wide receiver. No, they didn't. In fact, it's hard to even get free-agent wide receivers to sign in Baltimore because they know the th- passing game.
2: I'm going to be blocking a lot.
1: Is, yeah, they're run blocking. And nobody wants to play in that offense as a wide receiver. They got Sammy Watkins on who's on his what fifth team? Fourth team? Uh who's a great talent. He doesn't block though. But yeah, I mean they're <laughs> not they're, they're having a hard time finding a guy. Now they could draft one, yeah, okay. But well they did with Rashad Bateman. Uh what did he get hurt run blocking? He got hurt. So anyway, it is, the Baltimore Ravens built their entire franchise around Lamar Jackson as well don't, as the scheme. Don't yeah, the scheme in particular. Don't I mean I don't I don't want to I don't really have any time to listen to people who say they aren't doing enough. They've done more than any. I, they would have done as much as any other team in the league to give a quarterback what he needs to with his skill set to succeed. Now, if he wants to start expanding and start doing other stuff, he's got to show a proficiency at it. Yeah. I I I just get the sense with the
2: departure of Roman much to what Ben was saying there are guys in that locker room that are tired of this scheme and think they can only go so far with it. Exactly. And I think Lamar I agree with him. And I think Lamar right or wrong believes he could be a more proficient passer in a more advanced passing attack than the one he's been stuck in since he came into the league. Now he might not be right about that
1: he may but, uh, be he may be right. He may be more, it, it's not asking a lot. No. And the bar is low for him to be a better passer in another scheme. How hard is it to have another scheme that where Lamar Jackson could be a successful thrower yeah. and then have the same running attack? It's clearly not a big ask because they wouldn't have made the change if they didn't think
2: it was possible. So they're going to at least entertain it in an effort to keep him under contract. We will bend to your demands so you stay here and don't go elsewhere. That's really what the Ravens are doing uh, yes. by saying goodbye to Greg Roman. So we'll have to see how it all pans out, if, in fact, he is still there. Uh, it, is, it is one of the biggest offseason storylines that there will be in the league this year. We have to take a break here. When we come back, more on that subject matter and a little NFL true-false. Haven't done that in a while. That's coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills
0: Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024. Brought to you by Team Mobile.
1: You can count on Team Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.